this week, I had the opportunity, because we finished this mini-series on the seven signs of the Gospel of John, uh, to present something else to you. And I had in mind something that I would want to share, probably not even a sermon per se. Uh, I hope it's not just a stream of consciousness. But as I was deciding on what I would share with you on Friday, I had a couple of opportunities to meet with some saints in our church. One, a senior saint who's a precious dear sister in Christ, who I had the opportunity to spend a little over an hour with on Friday. And then late Friday night, I also had the opportunity to meet with a couple. And it changed the entire trajectory of what I was going to share. Because I was going to share something entirely differently. And I decided, both through those experiences on Friday, to present something completely different. In fact, I'm going to be interested in what I'm going to say this morning. (laughs) Because in one sense, I have no idea. But I did that because I was so struck by the earnestness of their hearts and by the passion of their hearts and also by the anguish of their hearts. Because essentially, both of those to whom I spoke, our dear sister in Christ and then this sweet couple, they were essentially asking a very similar question or a series of questions. And those questions are something like this. What is my purpose in life? And am I pleasing God with it, with that purpose? What's my role? What am I supposed to do? What kind of job am I to pursue? What what type of career am, am I supposed to have? What's God's will? What's His plan? What's His purpose? I don't know what to do. I've been pursuing this direction And it seems as though I'm stopped in my tracks. And then I pursue another direction and it seems as though I'm thwarted there. And then I attempt to ask the Lord, yea, even plead with the Lord, Lord, I want to do your will. I want to have your purpose. I want to be obedient to you. I want to be pleasing to you in all of these phases of my life but I feel as though I'm trapped, that I'm disengaged, that I don't quite know what I'm doing and whether or not what I'm doing is pleasing to you. I'm confused. I'm troubled. And I need help. I don't quite know what it is you want from me from this point in my life onward. In fact, for our dear, sweet sister saint, She says, I'm in my retirement years. And when I was working, I was busy. A lot of activity. Family, children. I was busy all the time. It's almost as though I didn't have a lot of time to think about all those kinds of questions. I was just doing what was in front of me, and I was attempting to do it well and doing it for God's glory. But now that I'm retired and now that even my body is a bit feeble and frail, I'm really wondering, Lord, what do you want from me? What am I supposed to do? What can I do to maximize these days that you've given me from 
my retirement time to now. And for her, it's even been almost 10 years from the time of retirement until now. And so that's 10 years of, of trying to come to grips with what it is the Lord wants from me. And that's often the idea of those who are in their senior years, right? Lord, what do you want? I mean, what am I supposed to do? My, my family's grown and gone, and, and I want to maximize my life for you, but what do I do? What's my purpose? Uh, my career, my, my job life, my this or that, my mothering, my fathering, my parenting, uh, those are sort of uh, in the rearview mirror, and now I need to ask the question, what am I supposed to do? What, what's my purpose in life? And Am I pleasing you with that purpose, whatever it may be right now? And I'm confused and I'm discouraged. Maybe some of you have recently lost a job. And maybe, especially for you as the breadwinner of the family, you're asking the question, Lord, what job do I get next? I can't seem to find a job in my career path. I thought that that was your purpose for me. I thought that that's what I was supposed to do. I thought that I was gifted and called by you to do that thing. And now when it appears as though that thing is not being opened to me, I'm confused. I, I don't understand. I, 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 I'm willing to do any kind of job. I'm, I'm, I'm willing to do anything that sets bread on the table for my family. But it seems as though in this confusion and this chaos of maybe having potentially missed your purpose for my life, at least as far as a career is concerned? Am I missing it, Lord? Am I, am I disobedient? Am, am, I, am I just flat out distorted in my thinking about what you want from me and what I'm supposed to do? And you know, especially for you men, those who are the heads of your family and those of you who know you're responsible to bring that bread and put it on the table, that when you're out of a job and when you're looking for a career or a next career or your career has ended and you're asking the question like a senior saint, what do I do now? Those can be very perplexing. Those can be even discouraging, can it? And so the more I thought about this in an attempt to help those who come and ask for help, I thought to myself, there are a lot of why questions. And they are extremely important, especially the question of the purpose for our life, the purpose for our existence, the purpose for my career, the purpose for my family, the purpose for having children, the purpose for dot, dot, dot. In fact, I was watching recently a commercial on television, and it was so funny because it was a commercial that depicted what... I'm sure the uh, producers of the commercial wanted you and I to think, and that was there was a man, and there was a little boy, and this little boy was following this man, presumably his father, all around the house. First in the garage, then outside with the car. And he was just following, and constantly the little boy was saying, why? Why? Well, it's because of why? Well, you see, why? And there are a lot of precocious and... Uh, imaginative and uh, investigative little boys out there in life. And the flip side of the commercial, of course, so funny as it was, was this little boy was following this man all over the place, and finally they were outside, and there was another man in the next driveway, and he was looking at this interchange between uh, the man and the son, and finally uh, the man who was being asked all the questions looked at this boy in an exasperated idea, and he said, I tell you what, 
the next why question, why don't you go home and ask your dad? He's right there. <laughs> and I thought, you know, that is, that is precisely what we are as little bitty spiritual children. Asking the Lord the why questions. And he never tires with the answer. Never. As precocious as we are, and as questioning as we may be, the questions, my friends, are not unimportant. They're not unimportant at all. In fact, they're crucial. Because every one of us as professing Christians want to answer the question, why? What is my purpose in life, and, and am I pleasing God with it? And the more I thought about that question, the more I wanted to bring a message to you, not a sermon per se, but some biblical passages that might help you and that actually might give you freedom not to be shackled with the why questions that you may have misplaced as to the answer, the answer of your heart. I want to give you some freedom this morning. If the scenarios that I've raised with the couple of folks that I talked to this past week are any indication of your questions also, and mine too, this could be one of the more liberating messages that you've heard in a long, long time. Because what I want to be able to do this morning is to answer the question definitively, carefully, and particularly, what is the purpose for every one of us in our lives? And whether or not you can know, and I believe you can, whether you're pleasing God with it from the Word of God. And what I'd like to do, both from the Old and New Testaments, is to take you through four main sections of the Old Testament and four main sections of the New Testament. There is eight general places to go in our Bibles to answer the question, what is God's purpose for my life and am I pleasing Him with it? Using a variety of terms, mainly the word purpose and the word pleasing, and do that for you and for me and for those who listen to this message so that they can be freed not to ask the individual questions. What about my job? What about my retirement? What about this? What about that? So that you can know generally and then apply very specifically to your life and give you the freedom that maybe you never thought possible. Is that fair enough? All right, here we go. You ready? Now, I'm going to give you more passages than just eight, but I'm going to give you eight categories of passages, all right? In the Old Testament, we're going to look at what we might call the historical books. Then we're going to look at the wisdom literature. Then we're going to look at the prophetic literature. And I think you'll be greatly, greatly encouraged by that. And we'll look at another piece of literature. And then in the New Testament, we'll look at the Gospels. We'll look at the Acts, the history book of the New Testament, we'll look at the epistles, and then we'll look at the apocalypse. And just a few passages from each place, probably more than you bargained for, but at least you'll be able to definitively answer from the Word of God the question, what is God's purpose for my life? And I, 
Am I pleasing him with it? All right? All right, let's go all the way to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 1. The history books of the Old Testament. The history books. The history books both of the children of Israel and for mankind in general. And in Genesis chapter 1, if you want to talk about God's purpose for my life, then you have to ask, for what is God's purpose in the creation of man in general, right? Me being one of them, you being one of them. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness, And let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. That, my friends, is one of the most important set of verses in the entire Word of God. Because it tells us very clearly what is God's plan and purpose for the creation of mankind. And what is that purpose? Well, number one, he says, to create man in our image according to our likeness. There are two Hebrew words that are used in this section and used throughout the Old Testament, selim and demuth, image and likeness, image and likeness. And those will be a recurring theme throughout our Bible that God has created man to recreate on the earth the image and the likeness of their creator. So even if we didn't know anything else about what God's purpose is for my life individually, we know generally speaking that I've been created for the purpose of being the image of my creator on this earth. That's helpful. That's very helpful. That tells us one of God's purposes for our creation. And he even says, here's what I want you to do. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So we've got a task. We've got duties. And yes, there are a myriad of tasks and a myriad of duties, and we don't know what all of this entails, but we know that God knows, and we can trust this Creator who's created us in His likeness according to His image. And so we know that. And I think there's something else that's implicit here that I think will be more explicit as we move on. Look in your Bibles at Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. Another historical passage from the history book of Israel. Exodus chapter 3. Do you want to look at a man for whom we might say there was the general statement in Genesis 1 about all of us? Here's a specific reference to the man Moses. Exodus chapter 3. You know, of course, verse 1, Moses was pastoring the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. So Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight, why the bush is not burned up. 
When the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And while the text says, and he said, here I am, I'm sure there was far more to it. Like, the bush is talking to me. He said, here I am. So understated, isn't it? I'm sure it was, here I am. Then he said, do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet for the place on which you are standing is what? Holy ground. Now he's even more afraid. He said also, this burning bush, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. You know the story. But I want you to go down to verse 10. Therefore, come now, and I will send you to Pharaoh, so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, of which, of course, Moses was a descendant out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, Certainly I will what? I will be with you. Stop there. That is a most important declaration, is it not? A most important declaration. If indeed Genesis 1 says that God has chosen in His triunity of purpose, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to create man in His image and in His likeness, Selim and Demu, then in what kind of experience will I have of seeing this image and likeness portrayed in my human experience? And how will I know it? And what will be the implications of it for my daily life? And if there's one thing that you and I need when we're asking the question, what is my purpose in life? And am I pleasing God with it? Is to know this extremely important question. Is God with me? Is God with me? Do I sense His presence? Is He here? How can I rely upon Him? Do I know of His nearness? Is He, is he intimately and eminently involved in my life and activities? My thoughts? my actions, my attitudes, my behavior. And you know that this phrase, I will be with you, look at it again. I will be with you. And this shall be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. Then Moses said to God, Behold, I'm going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? In other words, give me some specificity here. Who is it exactly who will be with us? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. 
This is most interesting because you will see this phrase, not the I am phrase, but the I will be with you in many different ways throughout the Old Testament. And some theologians have called it this, the tripartite formula of the Old Testament. And here's that tripartite formula. And it is extremely important. And it speaks to us of the very purpose of God for the creation of His people in His image and after His likeness and even for all the tasks like Moses has to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt, out of bondage. And it is this. I will be your God. You will be my people. And I will dwell in the midst of you. That's the tripartite formula. I will be your God. You will be my people. And I will dwell in the midst of you. You say, well, that's great theologically and that's a wonderful passage out of the Old Testament. But how does it relate to me? Or maybe even, how did it relate to Moses himself? I mean, I don't have a burning bush experience. I don't have this tangible expression that God is attempting to get a hold of my attention. So what does it look like? Well, I'll tell you what it looks like for Moses, and then I'll tell you what it looks like as we go on in our study. Look at Exodus 33. Exodus 33. This whole concept of wanting God near you, wanting God in your midst, needing God, depending on God, panting after God, knowing God, all these ways that our Bible expresses this tripartite formula, I will be your, your God, you will be my people, I will dwell in the midst of you. You, you can say it a hundred different ways. John Piper even says it this way, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. Others speak of knowing God, glorifying God. You want to talk about the overarching purpose for God's creation of men and women? It is to know God, to be known by God, to have fellowship with God, to have knowledge of God, to fear God, to please God, right? All of those things. And you can find all of those expressions in our Bibles. And I think from my vantage point, at least in my own Christian experience and maybe yours as well, when the times get tough, when there is disappointment, when there's despair, when there's the unknown, when I've lost that job, when I have cancer, when my children leave home, when I'm retired, and on and on and on it goes. And when I think I'm not close to God, when I think maybe I know God, but maybe I don't know Him as well as I want, I'm not sensing His nearness, I don't know what to do, I'm confused. I'm discouraged. I'm in despair. I don't know what job to pursue. I don't know what person to marry. I don't know where to go. I don't know what the final outcome is for me personally. God, I need you. Please come near to me. I need your answer for me specifically. Look, those folks, even Moses himself, as the leader of the children of Israel, desperately needed the answer to that question too. And look for the answer in Exodus 33. God gives Moses some more commands for him to do, as well as the children of Israel. And according to verse 5 of Exodus 33, the Lord said to Moses, Say to the sons of Israel, You are an obstinate people. Should I go up in your midst for one moment, I would destroy you. Now, now 
wait a second. Lance, I thought you said that the tripartite formula was, I will be your God, you will be my people, and I will dwell in the midst of you. But now God is saying you're an obstinate people. Should I go up in the midst for one moment, your midst, I would what? Destroy you. I mean, Lord, if I'm clamoring for your presence and I want to know that you're in my midst, you're in my life, you're leading me, you're guiding me, you're the Lord of my life, I know you, there's intimacy with us, just like Moses and yourself, I I need this. God says there's a problem. And that problem is you're obstinate. You're disobedient. Just like someone gave me a crocheted um, framed plaque one time that says, if you don't feel close to God, guess who moved? Yeah, it's not God's problem. When we don't sense the nearness of God, when we don't perceive that He's in our midst, it's not His problem, it's our problem. We're obstinate. We're disobedient. God says, now therefore, put off your ornaments from you that I may know what I shall do with you. So the sons of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, a good distance from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out of the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. And it came about, whenever Moses went out to the tent, that all the people would arise and stand, each at the entrance of his tent, and gaze after Moses until he entered the tent. Whenever Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. That's quite an entrance. That's quite an audience. Verse 10, when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would arise and worship each at the entrance of his tent. Thus, and this is, this is an amazing statement. Thus the Lord used to speak with Moses face to face just as a man speaks to his friend. Wouldn't you and I long for the opportunity to speak with the Lord as though we're speaking to our best friend? It's amazing, however, that Moses is not satisfied with that. Because look at what he says. Verse 12. Then Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people. Remember, that obstinate people, that disobedient people. Bring up this people. But you yourself have not let me know whom you will send with me. Moreover, you have said, I have known you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray you, if I have found favor in your sight, let me know your ways, that I may know you, so that I may find favor in your sight. Those are very important words. Let me know your ways, that I may know you, so that I may find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he says, my presence shall go with you, and I will give you rest. And Moses said to him, Lord, if your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. For how then can it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not by your going with us? 
so that we, I, and your people may be distinguished from all the other people who are upon the face of the earth. The Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing of which you have spoken, for you have found favor in my sight, and I have known you by name. Then Moses said, I pray you, show me your glory. And then, of course, we know that the Lord couldn't show him the fullness of himself, and he had to show him the backside, right? I would suspect that you and I, after reading something like that, can relate, Lord, regardless of whatever my earthly pursuits are, that job, this job, that life, this life, that ministry, this ministry, that person, those people, whatever it is, I do not want to do this unless your presence goes with me. I cannot do this. I cannot do this ministry. I cannot do this job. I cannot be in this family. I cannot parent this way. I cannot be a single to the glory of God. I can't do anything unless I know this. You are my God. I am your child. And you dwell in the midst of my heart. Folks, let me just give you the freedom of knowing that even if you cannot nail down every inch of your life with what you assume or believe or even want the Lord to do, so that you can have comfort, so that you can have assurance, that you can have confidence, that you can believe you're following the Lord in every jot and tittle of your life, I would want to free you up by saying, don't concentrate on those things. Concentrate on this. Lord, I must know of your continual presence. I must know that you are my God. And I must know that I'm your child. And I must know that you are dwelling in the midst of my heart. That is God's purpose for every person. Every person. And I would say that if you were pursuing that end, that goal, that purpose of knowing God, knowing His presence, sensing the assurance that He is with you, that He is empowering you, that He will lead you, that's enough. That's enough. And then along life's path, God in His providence will lead you to that job. He'll lead you to that mate. He'll lead you to that financial support. He'll lead you through the process of that cancer. He will lead you through those difficult waters. Whatever it may be, and in whatever context you find yourself, if you concentrate on this, what is the purpose of my life? The purpose of my life is being created in the image and likeness of God for the purpose of sensing and knowing Him and His presence. You say, is that all? Do I just leave all the rest of my pursuits as though I don't have to concentrate on them? As though I'm not supposed to be mindful of them? No. But I don't need to put any of those pursuits, as important as they are to you as an individual, and as important as even they are to the Lord, I don't need to put those above one passion, one thing, one priority, one great pursuit. Knowing God. 
knowing God, knowing His character, knowing that He will not fail you, knowing that He promises to bring you all the way through, no matter what, no matter the financial challenges, no matter the marital conflict, no matter the physical limitations, no matter what, period, paragraph, God is in your midst. God is leading you. God will protect you. God will, because of His creating purpose in you, provide you His very presence because if you don't go with us, we don't want to go. We're undone. We will not be able to live this life of faith without you, Lord. That's what Moses is saying. That's what he's saying. Look at some wisdom literature. Look at Ecclesiastes 12. You want to you see the way the preacher who penned that book, Ecclesiastes, puts it? This is what he says. This is amazing. This is the summation after a lot of musing in the book of Ecclesiastes, right? A lot of doubt. A lot of consternation. Chapter 12, verse 13. The conclusion. The conclusion. Here's your life. Here's my life. Here's the end of all things. Here's the sum of it all. Here's the end game. The conclusion. When all has been heard, here it is. Fear God and keep His commandments because this applies to every person. That's the exact same thought with different terminology that Moses is saying in Exodus chapter 3. By the way, we didn't read it for the sake of time, but you remember when God called Moses to be the spokesman of the children of Israel and even be God's spokesman to Pharaoh. You remember that? And you remember Moses' first response was, I can't do that. I don't have the mouth to do that. That's almost Moses saying what so many of us, myself included, say, and that is, but Lord, I can't do that job. I can't go there. I'm not adequate. You're going to have to find somebody else. You know what that's tantamount is saying? I'm willing for you to be my God only when I understand and agree with what I assume your purpose is. And what God said there was, and I, even I, will be with your mouth to teach you what you are to say. That's what all of us need to say regardless of what we're pursuing in our lives. What vocation? What marriage? What plan? What pursuit? And God, even God, will be with you to teach you what you are to do. And Moses even got back to the Lord in response to such a thing and said, but I've got marbles in my mouth. I stutter. And it says, the anger of the Lord burned against Moses. I created you. Didn't I create you in my likeness and in my image to do what I've commanded you to do? And did I not promise you that I will be with you? Isn't it said in Joshua in chapter 1, 
oh, by the way, this is what you're going to do, and here's who you're going to conquer, and I'm telling you, I will be, do not fear, I will be with you. Do not be afraid. Did I not command you? And we sit so often in the 21st century in Southern California at a great church with phenomenal teaching and with so many creature comforts, it's unbelievable. And when we are called upon by God to live out the very purpose for our lives, and what is that purpose? To know Him, to pursue Him, to acknowledge the tripartite formula, I will be your God you will be my people and I will dwell in the midst of you. And he calls upon us to be obedient to him with all that's revealed in scripture and what is not revealed, the kind of job I have, the kind of position I'm pursuing, the kind of life I'm living, whatever it is. And I'm really discouraged about that. And I've even told someone who's in my family, someone who's extremely close to me in my extended family. And when I talk to that person, here's often what I get. In fact, it's almost virtually every single time we speak by phone. How are you doing? I'm lonely. I'm lonely. I don't have anybody around me. I don't have anybody to talk to. I'm discouraged. I, I, I wish you would do more for me. I wish others would do more for me who are around me. I wish more people were around me. I'm really, really depressed. I'm really, really lonely. Now, is depression real? Is loneliness real? Of course. But is that the response from a person who professes faith in Jesus Christ ought to say, ought to live, ought to think? And often what I've said to such a person is, let me ask you the question. When's the last time you picked up the telephone, just like we're talking now, and called one of your other relatives or called another person and in a few minutes, only a few minutes, called and said, do you have one specific prayer request for which I could pray? Because in doing so, you will often get yourself outside of yourself, which is the very thing you need to do because that's why you're lonely, you're consumed with self. Now, is there such a thing as loneliness? Yes. Is there such a thing as discouragement? Yes. But what is the antidote to such a thing? To remember that my purpose in life is to know God, is to fear God and keep His commandments, for this applies to every person. And what is it to fear God? It's to know Him. It's to believe Him. It's to embark upon His promises in the very practicalities of my life. It's to pick up a phone and to say to someone else, are you lonely? Are you hurting? How can I pray for you just as I pray for myself and my loneliness so that you won't be lonely? What can I do? Can I get up from my seat and walk five feet or 500 feet or 5,000 feet? And go and minister to someone else? Can I write a card of encouragement? Can I send an email? Even with some physical limitations, brothers and sisters in Christ can be incredibly active. Is it not so? And what about the able-bodied among us? Is it not true that in our lives, with the main purpose that 
we are here to know God and to ensure that others know that my love for God is spilling out all over my life. How about other passages in the Old Testament that speak of this very thing? Look at Isaiah 55. That's from the prophets. And my friends, you can find this all over your Bible. Now, I admit, you have to trace it out with different words and different terms, but they all essentially are under the banner of knowing God, fearing God, pursuing God, the purpose for which you've been created. And here's that purpose. Look at Isaiah 55, verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my, your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there without watering the earth, and making it bare and sprout, and furnishing seed to the sower, and bread to the eater, so, my word, so will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding. And it says here, in the matter, you see it in italics, and some translations say, and without succeeding for the purpose which I sent it. You, know, you want to know God's purpose for all creatures? For our own understanding and then dispensing, preaching, teaching, memorizing, living, defending the Word of God, and in so proclaiming it both by your life and your lips... Nothing of that word of God, however imperfect it may be through us, will return to God without accomplishing the very purpose for which he sent it. You want to know the purpose of God for your life? To know God's word, therefore you know him, therefore you are living out the very purpose for which he has created you to proclaim his word. That's it. Here's a fourth one, and I wanted to go out of order because I want you to go back to Psalm 42. Psalm 42. Do you want to know the purpose of God in your life? Here it is. You say, yeah, but you haven't told me how to find that job. You haven't told me who to marry. You haven't told me what's going to happen next. Here's the answer. You want to know how to See the unfolding of all of those things in God's good timing and in God's good way? Here it is, Psalm 42.1. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. What's the title of the message today? What is my purpose in life? And is God pleased with it? What's the purpose? Panting after God. That's the purpose. If you were to come to me and say, Pastor Lance, what's the purpose of God for my life? What is it? Tell me. Let me explain my background. I was trained in. I had education with. I come from this family. I have aptitude with. I was skilled to do. That's not the right answer. That's not the right answer. If, if you were to ask me the question, what is God's purpose for my life? What am I supposed to do? What's my niche? Here it is, Psalm 42. 
as the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants for you, O God. That's it. And when you do that with all your heart and with all your strength and with all your might, with all that is within you, when you do that, God will lead you to all the other things. You ever heard Pastor John talk about pursuing God's will? And he says, if you're saved and if you're sanctified and if you're suffering, and he uses those S's and he gets all the way down to the end of the message and the people say, yeah, but what about, but what about, but what about, what about the job, what about the person I'm supposed to marry? And he says, you do all those other things and then you just do anything you want, right? It's the same with this. Fear God, keep his commandments. It applies to every person. So what's the purpose for God for my life? Fearing God, fearing God, that's it. That's the ultimate. That's everything. And by the way, when I'm doing that, I could probably always find something to do. Right? And lo and behold, it's going to be interesting how God works in His providence to put this person in my path and this job and this idea and that matter. Right? Of course. I can't know any of those other things. I'm not omniscient. I'm not God. But here is what He has told me to do. Pant after me like the deer pants for the water brooks. And if you pursue that purpose, you have the purpose-driven life. You have it. There it is. You say, that's not helpful. I need the kind of pastor who says, go and do that kind of job. You know that if I told you to go and do that kind of job, I'd be outside the realm of good counsel? Because I don't know that. I don't know that that's what you're supposed to do. If I tell you to do it and it doesn't work out real well, what are you going to do when you come back to me? Or maybe you say, I'm not coming back to him. (laughs) You see, just in these passages of the Old Testament, in the historical books, in Genesis, in Exodus, in the psalm lyrics of the children of Israel, Psalm 42.1, that's what they're supposed to do. In the prophets, Isaiah 55, God says, I'm going to perform my word through your life. That's what I'm going to do. And through Ecclesiastes, the wisdom literature, fear God. Keep His commandments. All of those passages saying the same thing. What about the New Testament? Here we go. Matthew. Matthew chapter 3. I'm going to use the person of Christ as a huge object lesson for all of us. Matthew chapter 3. You know this, but think about it. Think about it in the context of what we're talking about today. Matthew chapter 3, verse 17. Remember at the baptism of Jesus? And behold, a voice out of the heavens, that's the Father, saying about the Son, Jesus, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Look, whatever Jesus was doing in his earthly life, and he'd lived on the earth up to that point for 30 years, right? So whatever he was doing. He was living out the very purpose for which God intended for him to do. And God's divine answer was, and because of it, in you I am well pleased. Is that not a wonderful example for you and me? That in my life, whatever I'm doing, whatever job I have, whoever I'm married to, whatever my kids are, saved, unsaved, whatever my job is, whatever the circumstances are, whatever my medical condition, whatever my physical issues are, God is to be well pleased in my life because he created me in his, in his image and in his likeness and I am called upon him, yea, commanded by him 
to live out his purpose of panting for him, of fearing him, of doing what he commands so that he can say about me and what I long for him to say, in you I am well pleased. Could he say that about your life today? I'm well pleased. Notice what is said in John chapter 5. John chapter 5. John 5. This is what Jesus says about his relationship with the Father. And remember, for you and me, knowing God, knowing the Father, having a relationship, right? Intimacy. I will be your God. You will be my people. I will dwell in the midst of you. John 5.20. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. And the Father will show him greater works than these so that you will marvel. In fact, even one verse prior, verse 19. Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of Himself unless it is something He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. Wouldn't you like to be able to say as, as an individual Christian, I just, I just try to do what my Heavenly Father does. I just try to act like Him. I just try to do what He says. I try to live out the kind of life that He would be pleased with. I try to be like Jesus. I try to be like my Lord. John chapter 8. John chapter 8. Verse 28, so Jesus said, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father taught me, and He who sent me is with me. Remember that? I'm your God. You are my people. I'm dwelling in the midst of you. He is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. That's your prayer, is it not? That's your prayer. That's my prayer. Lord, I don't, I don't know how you're going to land this job for me. I don't know how you're going to help me in my old age. I don't know the answers to those questions, but here's what I do know. Your purpose for my life is to do the things that are pleasing in your sight. And I want to do those things. Lord, I don't know how it's all going to turn out. I don't know every situation and every conversation and every opportunity. And there are going to be times when I've got this divine opportunity and it is thrust in front of me and it is absolutely clear what I'm supposed to do. And as a doofus, I miss the opportunity. Or maybe even as those obstinate people, those disobedient Israelites, that opportunity was right in front of my face and I knew it and I wasn't missing it. I just flat out didn't want to do it. And instead, you say something like this, I want to be pleasing to you, Christ. I want to be pleasing to you. That's what you said about your relationship with the Father. That's what I want to say about my relationship with the Father. Isn't that what Jesus did all the way to the cross? And at the end of the Gospel of John, he says, it is finished. John 17. Look at John 17. This is what Jesus says. This is your prayer. This is my prayer. This is what we ought to be saying. Father, the hour has come, verse 1. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Verse 3. You want to know what the purpose of God is for your life? Here it is. John 17, 3. This is eternal life, that they may know you. There it is again. The only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That's the purpose of God for your life. To know God, to know Christ. That's the purpose. 
Are you being well-pleasing to God by knowing Christ, knowing God? That's, that's what it says. That's the Apostle Paul, isn't it? What does Paul say in the book of Philippians chapter 3? What does he say? Turn there, Philippians chapter 3. This is what the Lord says. This is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This is what the Lord says about Paul. It must have been true about his life because it's in Scripture. This is Paul, Philippians 3.8. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith that I might know Him. That's the purpose of God for my life. I mean, don't you think that with all the unanswered questions of your individual life, the job, the family, the future, the plan, the purpose, my niche, whatever it may be, and all of my struggles to try to find it, don't you know that potentially, possibly, maybe that would be answered by a sovereign God if you said, all I want to do is know you and I'll let you figure out the rest, Lord. Don't you know that He will do that? You say, yes, but I want it now. Lord, I want you to hurry. I want to be patient, but hurry. No, 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 no. You know, if Paul were really thinking about all of those things when he says, I want to know God, I want to know Christ. I mean, it sounds so noble, doesn't it? I mean, it sounds so glorious. It's this glorious pursuit. It's this, this great apostle. And you say, yeah, that's Paul and I ain't him. I'm just not him. And I'm not Jesus either. You quoted a few passages about him. I'm just, I'm just trying to figure out who I am, let alone being like someone like Jesus and Paul. Well, did you know what is said in the book of Acts about Paul? Look at Acts 27. You say, here's this great apostle. He's been called for this noble purpose. And this is what he says. Excuse me, Acts 26. This is what he says. He recounts his testimony. You know, the one where he was on the Damascus road in the Hebrew dialect, verse 14, the, the Lord Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up, stand on your feet for this, what? Purpose. For this purpose, I have appeared to you to appoint you a minister and a witness, not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things in which I will appear to you, rescuing you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. And you say, wow, what a testimony, what a purpose in life. You want to talk about the purpose-driven life? Boy, that's a great and high and holy calling. You know that that's only one of the references that includes the entire picture of what Jesus said. And you know there's another one in another passage. You find it in the book of Acts, and here it is. He left out that line here. I don't know why, but here's that line from another section. Here it is. And to show you, Paul, Saul, how much you must suffer for my sake. Oh, wait, no, no, I didn't bargain for that one. 
No, no, no. I, I didn't sign up for that one. I mean, I want to be that light to the Gentiles. I, I mean, I want to be that guy that's proclaiming the gospel. I want to be on Christian TV. I, I want to wear the nice suit. I want to be picked up in, in the, the nice car. I, I, I'm, I'm all about that. No, I'm going to show you how much for the very purpose that I created you in your mother's womb, Galatians 1, how much you're going to suffer for my sake. You want that purpose? Yeah, because ultimately through the portal of your suffering comes the glory. Suffering glory, suffering glory. That's a pattern in the New Testament. Suffering glory, suffering glory. You say, what about the epistles? I showed you Philippians 3. How about Peter? How about the general epistles? 2 Peter 3.18. Grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's all over the place, folks. Just, just in your Bible, with a highlighter, underline all the references in all 66 books of the Bible. You don't have to do that this afternoon. But in the Bible, write out all of these passages that say purpose, plan, knowing God, knowing Christ, fearing God, pursuing Him. You're going to know the purpose, and it's the purpose, same purpose for all of us. And it's the purpose of knowing Jesus Christ. And now you ask yourself the question, am I pleasing God with knowing Jesus Christ? One last one will be done. Revelation. Revelation 17. This is, this is most interesting. This is another section which has the word purpose to it, but it's a bad purpose. Revelation 17, verse 13. The people who don't like Christ, the people who are desiring to be injurious of the people of God, these have one purpose, the Bible says. Revelation 17, 13. They have one purpose, and they give their power and authority to the beast. These will wage war against the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them because He is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those who are with Him are the called and chosen and faithful. And what is the purpose of God? It even includes the vanquishing of God's foes because Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. And yes, even the purpose of God, like Paul, suffering for his sake, will be that at times you come against great adversity. And when you do, that too is the very purpose of God for your sanctification. So much so that when you and I are the loyal and the faithful and true, we will be one of those, praise God, that will be sitting around the supper of the Lamb so that when he says to us, well done, good and faithful slave, enter into the joy of your Lord. Is it not like the very song that we sang, the very last one? I didn't plan this. This is the providence of God. Listen to it. Speak, O Lord, as we come to you to receive the food of your holy word. That's, a, that's another way of talking about the purpose of God, knowing God, knowing his word, right? Take your truth plant it deep in us, shape and fashion us in your likeness that the light of Christ might be seen today in our acts of love and our deeds of faith. Speak, O Lord, and fulfill in us all your purposes for your glory. That's the purpose of God. Are you pleasing with it? Let's pray together. Father, Thank you for the purposes that you have planned for all of us. And Lord, we scratched the surface, but only the surface. 
of a few passages that speak about knowing you, seeking you, pursuing your purpose. What is your plan? And you have shown us that if I concentrate on knowing Christ, pursuing Him, believing in Him, living in light of Him, that you will give me all of the individual dynamics of my own life. And I can rest in that. I I should pursue them, but only in light of knowing you. Lord, it may be that I have been frustrated in my pursuit of any of these things because I've been concentrating more on them than on pursuing you. May I confess that. And may I pursue you for your glory, for your honor, for your praise, because you are my God. I am your child and you are dwelling in my midst and in the midst of your people. May we honor you, not just today, but through our lives and the rest of our lives so that when you providentially orchestrate all of the things individually in my own personal life, it too will be my praise because you've answered all my questions and you've given me the right path. In Jesus' name, amen.